Today we continue the series that our pastor has been leading us in on resetting life's compass. Yeah, I really believe every time Doyle's gone and he asks me to preach, he gives me topics he thinks I need. You know, when he was talking about the family, he gave me sibling rivalry, knowing I have seven brothers and sisters. And maybe there's no topic that I need more than what we're going to talk about this morning. I'll just tell you that most preaching is confessional. My father told me when I was a young man and just beginning my ministry that he said, Jim, if your message doesn't do anything for you, it probably won't for anybody else. Uh, But the truth is, most preaching is confessional. Uh, as, As men and women share what God is saying to them about their own life. So today we we look again at what it means to reset life's compass. And we've been given the clock. And I want to share with you two passages of Scripture this morning. The first from John's Gospel, chapter 9. And the second from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 5. And I'm going to be reading this morning from the message translation. You can follow with the with your Bible, or it'll be on the screen. But I think this particular translation for these passages is helpful. And I invite you this morning to stand with me for the reading of God's Word, if you're able. John says, Walking down the street, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? causing him to be born blind. Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There is no such cause and effect here. Look instead for what God can do. We need to be energetically at work for the one who sent me here, working while the sun shines. while When night falls, the workday is over. For as long as I am in the world, there is plenty of light. I am the light of the world's light. And then in Paul's letter to the Christians in Ephesus, beginning in verse 8 of chapter 5, You groped your way through the murk once, but no longer. You're out in the open now. The bright light of Christ makes your way plain. No more stumbling around. Get on with it. The good, the right, the true. These are the actions appropriate for daylight hours. Figure out what will please Christ and then do it. Don't waste your time on useless work, mere busyness, the barren pursuits of darkness. Expose these things for the sham they are. It's a scandal when people waste their lives on things that they must do in the darkness where no one will see. Rip the cover off these frauds and see how attractive they look in the light of Christ. Wake up. Wake up from your sleep. Climb out of your coffins. Christ will show you the light. So watch your step. Use your head. Make the most of every chance you get. These are desperate times. Don't live carelessly, unthinkingly. Make sure you understand what the Master wants. Don't drink too much wine. That cheapens your life. 
Drink the Spirit of God. Huge draughts from Him. Sing hymns instead of drinking songs. Sing songs from the heart, from your heart to Christ. Sing praises over everything. Any excuse for a song to God, the Father, in the name of our Master, Jesus Christ. May God add His blessing to the reading of His Word. Thank you. You may be seated. How many of you have one of these? Can you see it? How many? Raise your hand if you've got a watch. Now don't be looking at it during the message. We just about all have a watch. If we don't have a watch, we use our cell phone to tell time or we do something else. And, and we have these things. You know, you probably heard the story about the the guy, the minister who took his watch off and laid it on the pulpit and, some, and a friend asked the person sitting next to him, what does that mean? And his friend said, nothing. <laughs> nothing. Lucille Harper said, time is a great healer, but a poor beautician. And the French composer Berlioz said, time is a great teacher. But unfortunately, it kills all its pupils. I heard a story a number of years ago that every morning for years, about 11.30, the telephone operator in a small Sierra Nevada town got a call asking what time it was. Every day, 11.30, got a call, what time is it? Finally, it got the best of her, and she, she asked the person, why do you call with such regularity? He said, well, I'm the foreman over at the mill, and I'm supposed to blow the whistle at exactly noon. And she chuckled for a minute. She says, that's really funny, because we set our clock by your whistle. (laughs) You know, we're all kind of slaves to the clock, aren't we? We're all kind of slaves to the clock. Sam Levinson said, I'm going to stop putting things off starting tomorrow. And that's kind of how we are sometimes. Lewis Boone said, I am definitely going to take a course on time management just as soon as I can work it into my schedule. How many of you have taken a course on time management? Go ahead, be honest, raise your hand. I have not only taken several of them, I've led a couple of them. It's pretty scary. Now the truth is, most time management seminars and workshops and I I think they can be valuable, but a lot of them focus on efficiency. They focus on how we do better with the time that we have, how we get more accomplished and be more efficient with our time. And and all that's valuable, but maybe it's not the most important issues to think about as we think about managing the clock. And I actually think the passages that Doyle chose for this series of messages And these on the clock are are such great passages for us to look at today. An old Indian was once told about daylight savings time. He looked at the guy and told him, and he said, only a white man would think that you could cut a foot off of a blanket at the top of a blanket and sew it on at the bottom of the blanket and have a longer blanket. 
you know, we don't really save time, do we? Maybe we have more daylight hours. I don't feel that way when I get off work and it's dark. But we are always about this process of trying to, to manage our clock and the time pressures of life. The context for the story in the ninth chapter of John is this ancient question, who sinned? Who sinned? This man's born blind. The disciples in their culture assumed somebody sinned. This was the act of God repaying sin. Either this man sinned in some prenatal way, or his parents sinned, or maybe his grandparents, but somehow the sin had been visited upon him. Who sinned? Why pain and suffering? Why do bad things happen? And, and we sometimes take the same approach in our modern society they did in the ancient world. We look for a reason. We look for that same cause-effect. And I love the translation from the message when Jesus says there's no cause-effect here. You ought to be looking for what God might do here. Jesus said we need to be energetically at work for the one who sent me here, working while the sun shines. When night falls, the workday is over, for as long as I am in the world, there is plenty of light. Jesus responds by saying, you're asking the wrong questions. The question is, what has God got planned? How can I be a part of what God has got planned? How can I bring God's light into the darkness of this moment? How can we do that? The Apostle Paul said, wake up. Climb out of your coffin. Christ shows you the light. Watch your step. Use your head. Make the most of every chance you get. These are desperate times. Don't live carelessly, unthinkingly. Make sure you understand what the Master wants. You know, I actually think there are some incredible clues in this passage about how we manage the clock, even in the modern world. The first one is is just that we seize the moment. And it was sort of what Ken shared with the boys and girls today. Live today. Live today. You see, we are driven by the clock, and yet we have little or no grasp of the significance of time. Isn't there a lot of irony in that? We are slaves to our schedules, and we miss the moments. We are obsessed by our calendars, and we're oblivious to everyday opportunities. Maybe there's never never been a culture more driven by the clock and more out of touch with the moments. The passage actually says, make the most of every chance you get. The King James translation said to redeem the time. Redeem the time. It was actually a market term. It really had to do with the idea that we were going to seize or grasp an opportunity in, in the area of commerce, that kind of setting. It's kind of like, Grasping a good deal. Seizing the moment. Now we talk about saving time, but in reality we can't save time. 
we can only use time wisely. We invest our energies in activities that are worthwhile. We make the most of the moments. It's almost an urgent command. Snap it up. Grasp it. You see, time is precious. Precious. God takes it very seriously. But not the way we do. You see, Jesus did not seem to be rushed. He never looked rushed. He never acted rushed. Yet his entire ministry covers only three years. Now, if you and I had been playing a three-year ministry to change the course of human history, what would we have packed into it? And yet Jesus goes about his ministry in almost an unhurried way so that he can spend the afternoon talking to a woman at the well. And he can choose to spend one of the last days he has before his execution visiting the home of a tax collector named Zacchaeus. Moments. Moments. You see, we believe the way to get the most out of life is just to cram as much as possible into it. So we take vacations and come back a lot tireder than when we were when we left because of everything we tried to do on our vacation. The 1989 movie, Dead Poets Society, the English teacher John Keating, played by Robin Williams, made the famous quote, Carpe diem, seize the day. Seize the day, boys. Make your lives extraordinary. The truth is, people who live in the moment, who live today, live extraordinary lives. It's those of us rushing around that have the problem. We spend so much of our time worried about yesterday and planning for tomorrow. I'll be 62 in a few months. You know what that means? More of my moments are behind me than before me. That's a pretty harsh reality, isn't it? But unless I live a lot longer than I expect to, more of my moments are behind me than they are before me. But spending time worried about my past causes me to miss the ones I have today. Today. You see, what we're called to is to live today. Philip Bailey said, We live in deeds, not years, in thoughts, not breaths, in feelings, not figures on a dial. You want to manage the clock? Start by just making the most of every moment you have today. Live today. Live today. The second thing I think we learn in this passage is what Paul points us to, and that is we ought to be seeking God's will. Jesus did the same thing. We ought to be about the work of Him who sent me. Paul says, don't live carelessly, unthinkingly. Make sure you understand what the Master wants. 
Jesus said, look instead for what God can do. Be energetically at work for the one who sent me here. Now Paul contrasts foolish men and women and wise men and wisdom. And he says, the wise seek to know God's will. They seek to know God's will. They live aware. Aware. They seek to know God's will. Now there are a lot of, a lot of discussion about God's will, and, and there are some today who don't care about God's will. And their response is kind of, I, I don't need God. There are other people who say, well, I, I can't understand God's will. I can't really know God. And then there are some that say, well, I, I can't do God's will. What that really means is, I don't believe God. I don't believe Him. Paul says, anyone who says, I do not need God, I cannot know God, and I cannot do or God's will or, or trust Him, is a foolish person. A foolish person. He says the wise person seeks to understand God's will. I don't think there's a magic wand that tells us all perfectly God's will. It's a struggle for all of us to know and do God's will. But there are some things about God's will we can know, and it can help us in our lives and in our moments. One is we can understand God's will biblically. There are some things we know about God's will from the Word of God. I mean, simple things like the Ten Commandments tell us something about the Word of God. The the Sermon on the Mount tells us something about the will of God. So we understand God's will biblically. We also understand God's Word practically. Theologians talk about God's intentional will, His plan and purpose for your life and for our world. They talk about God's permissive will. Because sometimes God allows, because of human freedom, things to happen that might not be His intentional will, but He he permits it. He gives us the freedom to choose something else. And then God's ultimate will. Because I believe, ultimately, God's will will be accomplished in our world. The Scripture says the kingdoms of this world and are become the kingdoms of our God and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever and ever. God's ultimate will. So we we kind of understand God's will biblically, but we also understand it on a practical basis. And then we understand God's will personally. We have a chance to understand God's will personally. You see, God's will is always compatible with His nature. God never does anything that's incompatible with who He is. He always acts like God. He is holy love. And He never acts out of character. So we can understand God's will by His nature and character. We can understand His will because God's will is always compatible with my basic personality and gifts. You know, God doesn't put square pegs in round holes. We do that. We try. But God doesn't. So God's not going to ask you to do something you're not equipped to do. That He hasn't graced you with the ability to do. 
so we can understand His will. And, and God's will is always moving someplace. It's always dynamic and moving. And maybe it's best known in process. Sometimes we'd like God to tell us what's down the road. But He usually just talks to us about today. He usually just helps us with the moments. So when we say we want to seek to know God's will, when we want to live aware, it means that every day, wherever I am and whatever I'm doing, I'm aware God's there. We don't come to church on Sunday to meet God as though He's not with us day by day. Every place you go, every day of your life, and every moment you live, He is with you. The problem is we live so many of those moments unaware. Unaware that He's there. He's there with us every day, every moment, every every experience that we have. So make a habit to look for God in your everyday life. Ask Him to help you see Him at work. Watch for opportunities to join God and and what He's doing in our world. Look at the people around you the way God sees them. Every day, every moment. You see, millions of people long for immortality and they don't even know what to do with themselves on a rainy Sunday afternoon. Because we forget to be engaged in what God is engaged in. That makes the moment so much more powerful. Makes life so much more meaningful. Martin Luther was the one who said, I have so much to do today that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Because he understood he needed to be aware. He needed to be aware God is there. You see, we master the clock not just by seizing moments and living today, but living today with the awareness that God is here today. He's here today. And He's going to be with you tomorrow and the next day and the next day. That's part of the reason we don't have to worry about the future. We can just live today because the same person who's with us today is going to be with us tomorrow. The last clue I think I see in this passage we've looked at this morning to help us manage the clock in our lives is this passage that Jesus, where Jesus shares with us about the light. He said, we need to be energetically at work for the one who sent me here, working while the sun shines. When the night falls, the workday is over. For as long as I am in the world, there is plenty of light. I am the world's light. And Paul says, you groped around in the darkness long enough. The bright light of Christ makes your way plain. No more stumbling around. Get on with it. Get on with it. He says, expose those things for the sham they are. It's a scandal what people waste their lives lives on things they must do in the darkness where no one can see. Rip the cover off those frauds. See how unattractive they are in the light of Christ. 
You want to you make the most of your moments. Shine in the light. What that really means is live transparently. Live transparently. Live your life in the light. Live your life so that you have nothing to hide. Live in the light and presence of God. One person said, we master our minutes or we become slaves to them. We use time or time uses us. What are you willing to let people see? You think about your moments and how you use your time. Would you want mom to see everything? I really resent the fact that on every commercial when you see somebody on TV, they always say, hi, mom. They don't ever say, hi, dad. But most of us wouldn't want mom to see everything that happens in our lives. My, I talk to my mom every once in a while on the phone. She says, are you being good? And I say, I'm always good, Mom. But she knows me pretty well. So yesterday when I talked to her on the phone and she said, are you being good? I said, most of the time. You see, Jesus understood that when we live in the light of God's presence, it changes how we live. It changes how we live. You want to manage your moments, manage the clock in your life. Live your life with the awareness that it's okay for everybody to see everything. Be the same person every place you are. Every place you are. Charles Colton said, Time, the cradle of hope. Wisdom walks before it. Opportunity with it and repentance behind it. He that has made it his friend has little to fear from his enemies, but he that has made it his enemy will have little to hope from from his friends. It all has to do with how we're living, whether we live in the light or in the darkness. David's Psalm in the 39th Psalm, his complaint to God, he said, You have made my days as handbreadths, and my ages as nothing before you. He meant that to an eternal God, our time is brief. That doesn't mean it doesn't matter to him. It means it matters a great deal to him. God cares about how you use your time we throw away one of the most precious gifts God gives us when we waste our moments. Each minute is an irretrievable gift, an unredeemable slice of eternity. Sure, we have to make the phone calls. We have to wait for the light. We have to do all the other kinds of things that take up time. But how are you using your time to advance the cause of Christ and make a difference in somebody's life. 
Benjamin Franklin said, Dost thou love life? Then do not squander time, for it is the stuff life is made of. It's what it's made of. So how do we do this? We manage the clock by seizing the moments, by living today. We do it by seeking to know God's will. We, we live with an awareness God is with us. And then we shine in His light. We live transparently. To the best of our abilities, we live our lives so that God and everyone else can see us plainly. Paul prayed, May God who gives patience, steadfastness, and encouragement help you to live in complete harmony with each other, each with the attitude of Christ toward the other. I confess that a good bit of my life, the clock runs me. But in my best days, I live in the moment. I look to know God's will, and I try to live in His light.